My name is Gerta, and during this interview, I had the chance to talk to Dr. Jonathan Barney and his journey, how he went from political science major to medical school, and now he's doing his general residency at University of Kentucky. So today we are with Dr. Jonathan Barney, and he's going to talk to us a little bit about his bio and his career in meds, the years of training. Um, so if you want to tell us a little bit, what led you to medicine? Hi, good morning. Yeah, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Um, so I was a non-traditional applicant into medical school. So I had kind of a weird roundabout path. Um, actually majored in political science when I was in undergrad. Um, had a totally different career plans that ended up falling through. Really long story, <laughs> longer than we have in the podcast. But um, after that, I started looking into different jobs. Uh, some of my friends were going into the fire service. So I thought that was you know very interesting. I thought maybe it would be good to be like a firefighter paramedic. So I kind of started looking into that route. <clears throat> so I went to EMT school. And uh, I loved it. It was a lot of fun. I started working as an EMT doing special events. I would cover like concerts and sporting events and do all sorts of cool things. And then I went on to paramedic school and loved that even more because obviously it's just a more in-depth, more advanced uh, version of EMT basically. And when I was in paramedic school, they require you to do a hospital internship. Um, so I had to go work in the ER for like, I don't know, 30 shifts or something like that. And also do some anesthesia and whatnot. But when I was in the hospital, I absolutely loved it. So I, I knew right then and there that I had to be something else. I was still wasn't sure if I wanted to be a doctor yet, but I wanted to be something in the hospital setting, maybe a PA, maybe a, maybe a doctor, you know. So I started looking into that realm. And then, of course, you know, my wife, she really pushed me. She's like, you're not going to be happy if you, you know, if you be, uh, become a PA, you'd probably like the job. But then a few years down the line, you'd want something more. <laughs> so she's like, just go for it. So she kind of talked me into, uh, into doing it. So then I went back to school and did sort of a make my own post back um, to get all those classes that I didn't get in my undergrad. So like chemistry, organic chemistry, physics, and all that stuff. So I spent uh, almost a full two years uh, doing those classes while at the same time working as an ER tech. So I worked as an ER tech at two different hospitals, which was really good experience. Made me very comfortable with patients. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So it's really good to have some hands-on experience. Um, so I think that really did benefit me going into medical school. Yeah. So after those two years, got the classes done, I applied and I applied pretty broadly, but only got a few interviews here in the United States. Um, and then unfortunately didn't get in anywhere. I got some offers for like, oh, if you come and complete uh, a master's of science with us, we'll let you in or this or that. Um, I kind of had a lot to consider. I had to think, well, am I going to apply for another cycle? Maybe do like a master's or a PhD or something and then reapply? Or should I start looking into some other options? So I started looking into the Caribbean schools. And, uh, you know, as you're familiar with, there's the big three, you know, St. George, AUC, and Ross. And um, just for, you know, my own personal reasons and all that, I ended up choosing AUC, got accepted there, and uh, went off to medical school. And it was a pretty exciting time. Uh, so yeah, I was a little bit older, you know, I was 28 years old starting medical school, but I feel like that life experience beforehand really helped. Uh, I was a little more mature going in. I kind of had a good work ethic at that point and, uh, had that patient care experience already. So, uh, even though it was a little bit roundabout, very non-traditional, <laughs> I think it was beneficial overall. And yeah, then that's how I, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, that's a little bit about my background. 
<laughs> That's awesome. So tell us a little bit, what do you do now? So now I'm a second year surgery resident. Um, so in medical school, I wanted to keep an open mind. I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to practice as far as specialty. Uh, you know, I thought maybe just with my emergency medicine experience, I'd end up in that area or something, but it just, uh, <laughs> I was kind of burnt out as an ER tech. And it, it was when I rotated through it as a student, it was kind of the same thing all over again. So I knew I didn't really want to do that, um, but I'm very interested in procedures and hands-on. And when I started my third year, I, my first rotation was surgery and I got the bug I started to like it and then the bug never let go. So every single rotation I did after that seemed very boring <laughs> and I just wanted to do more and more surgery. Um, so I, it was a pretty easy decision at that point. Um, I applied all over the place. I think I applied like 150 surgery programs, uh, went on a bunch of interviews all over the country, a uh, ton of different states. It, it was very expensive. <laughs> it, was a, it was a big, big, huge pain in the butt, that's for sure. Um, a little bit different. I know some some of your listeners are probably uh, from the cycle from COVID times when the, you did Zoom interviews and all that, but I had to be in person. Mm -hmm. So it meant every single interview I went on, I had to fly there, I had to stay in a hotel, I had to get Ubers, it was, it was terrible. But luckily I survived the interview season, ranked all the programs, and I ended up matching here at the University of Kentucky at their Bowling Green program. So it's like Southern Kentucky, basically an hour north of, of Nashville, if you if you all know where that's at. Um, but yeah, very lucky to be here. Um, you know, we get really heavy operative experience. So I've logged, I think, 560 cases already, oh, which is kind of unheard of for someone in the beginning of second year. Yeah. Is there a specialty you'd want to go in after? Yeah. So I'll be a, a general surgeon when I'm done. And then, you know, it's, it's, I may consider doing bread and butter general surgery. It's fun. I like the variety, but I do kind of feel myself wanting to be specialized beyond that, maybe in a niche somewhere. Um, minimally invasive is very interesting to me. I love robotic surgery, laparoscopic, endoscopic. I love that stuff. So I could probably see myself practicing that. Um, but there's other interesting things too, endocrine surgery, uh, breast surgery, uh, all that, a lot of good opportunities out there. So still keeping an open mind. Uh, we apply for that in our fourth year and then match into it and then begin after, after fifth year, obviously. But yeah, so probably leaning towards minimally invasive, but don't don't quote me on that yet. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> no, yeah, it's it's a hard thing to kind of choose because then you'll be doing that for like all your life in a way too. So exactly, and there's pros and cons to everything. You know, the fellowships. I don't know how much your your listeners know about surgery, but general surgery residency is five years, and then the fellowships range anywhere from one year to three years, depending on what you choose. So like plastics is a three year fellowship. Um, minimally evasive is one. So I'm kind of leaning towards the one-year fellowship since I already feel old, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I started med school a little late. I don't know if I want to be a student for forever. So we'll see, we'll see. Yeah, yeah. a lot of different options out there, that's for sure. And surgery is a great field. So I, I enjoy what I do even right now. That's awesome, yeah. Actually, I have this quote that I keep in mind. It's like, once, you're go, like, once you enter med school, you're a student for like all your life in a way. And it yes. doesn't stop like, even as a fellow or something, as an attending, you're always like, like learning. So, you have oh to yeah, you are, learning. That's, that's a good philosophy to have, yeah. for sure. You kind of have to be a lifelong learner. Yeah. So, if you could go back to your first year and like second year as you're studying, what do you think it kept you in mind? Because like when you won, when you like surgery or something, like, like what do you think keeps you into like the books? 
Mm, I see. Yeah. Um, so there was a, a podcast I listened to. Um, uh, one popular with surgery is Behind the Knife from the American College of Surgeons. And they interviewed Seymour Schwartz on there, who he was like a huge legend of surgery. And that's obviously who the Schwartz's Principles of Surgery textbook is named after. And they interviewed him and they asked him kind of the same question. And he had just the best advice. He said that you really have to have a love affair with what you do. So if you start feeling yourself getting burnt out, you know, maybe you're working long hours on surgery or maybe you're attending yelled at you or something, you kind of have to remember why you love it maybe go you know, read about the history of surgery or look into some cool stories and whatnot. I'm really into surgical history. I've read a bunch of surgical history books and whatnot. So for me, it's kind of like that. I'd probably go back to myself in like first year, second year where I'm slogging through the books, studying for step one. And I would just probably remind myself about, you know, what it's all about, the end goal and that, that it's worth it in the end. That's a good, yeah. It keeps you like, you have to prevent the burnout at all times. I feel like that's a good reason to kind of keep going back. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, what do you consider important outside of med school that you're like that you had to keep close by as you're in med school and and now in surgery? Yes, that's a good question, and it's equally important. I feel your life outside of med school, you have to have balance. Um, so for me, it was making time with my family. Yeah, I have a wife and a daughter. She's going to be turning six here this month. She's adorable. And yeah, she's super cute. <laughs> But it was rough, you know, those first, uh, those first two years, especially because I was on the island for those first two years. And uh, my wife is a teacher, so she had the summers off and would come down and visit. But in between, we'd have to be apart for long periods of time. But I still had to find some sort of balance. So basically, I would come home, you know, study, would do whatever I needed to do, and then we would FaceTime. And my daughter was just, you know, an infant. <laughs> and that's actually... Um, like I went, when I went off to school, I think she was four months old or so. So every single day I'd FaceTime, I talked to her. Um, she said her first word data to me on FaceTime and all that. And it was pretty cool because whenever I would fly home and come to the airport, she would just look at me and say, Oh, hi dad. It was, it was like, I'd been there the entire time because I'd made the time to FaceTime her. So I think it's really important to make time for your family. Um, you know, we kind of get tunnel visioned on, Oh, I need to get a good a step one score except not anymore since it's past fail, but you get the idea. <laughs> but we get so tunnel vision in our studies that we have to remember to you know, make time for our family, our friends, and our hobbies too. Uh, you know, really important to take care of your body, eat right, exercise and whatnot. So I think that's, that'll make you a, be a more successful student if you have that balance. If you just throw yourself 100% of your studies, you're going to hit a wall. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's hard because you get in the in the race kind of thing. And it's like, oh, it's not ending anytime soon. So competitive, yeah. it's rough. What do you think was something that kind of separated you when you were applying? Like it made you that competitive, it added to your application. Yeah, there's a lot that you can do to be competitive. For me, I kind of looked at it as if I was a program director and I was looking at a bunch of applicants, what would I see that would make someone stand out and maybe choose them instead of someone else? So I kind of have this whole checklist in my mind. Um, on the NRMP website, they have like the program director survey, I think they call it, where they rank all the things that they think are important, like step one score, uh, rank in your class, uh, AOA status, and et cetera. And I started looking at that kind of like a checklist. And I'm like, okay, how many of these things can I do? You know, so I, I studied hard. I got a, a good step one score, not great, not outstanding, but it was, it was decent. 
Um, and I did a lot of research. I did laboratory research, I did clinical research, I got some publications. Um, so I tried to get all of these things. So like research and publications are huge for surgery. Um, you know, step one score was important. Uh, class rank was important as well. So I tried to make sure that I had all of my ducks in a row in, in all those ways. Plus networking is also huge. So there was a couple of interviews I got just because of knowing people. So anytime you're interacting with doctors on your clinical rotations or maybe at a conference, make sure you, you know, exchange phone numbers or emails and keep in contact with people. Networking is a big part of it. So I would say definitely trying to make yourself a competitive applicant in a, you know, a holistic way, you know, not just with your step one score or step two score, but also with grades, research publications, and also networking. I think all those things will help set you apart. Right. When did you start with the research? Did you start before the med school or like touring in med school? Yeah, it was uh, in, I think, beginning of my second year of med school. <clears throat> so obviously going to AUC, the American University of the Caribbean, I was on the island of St. Martin. And uh, there was a lot of interesting research going on with uh, Zika, chikungunya, and dengue, and all that. So I did some laboratory research studying the seroprevalence in dengue. So I headed the dengue study. Uh, one of my other colleagues headed Zika, and then another one headed up chikungunya. And we kind of were able to compile data and all that. We took blood samples from uh, 300 different people on the island um, in the area around the school, and then used ELISA's, the enzyme-linked immunosorbent assays, uh, in order to see which ones were positive for, you know, any three of those viruses. And it was pretty interesting. <laughs> so, you know, the lab work itself was very boring. It was, you know, every time we ran these ELISAs, it was like, a, I don't know, six, eight hour adventure in the lab. And it was pretty horrible. But then it, it, the re end result of it was actually a very interesting study uh, that we were able to get published in a national journal. So um, that was pretty fun. That was my first research experience. So that was laboratory. And then once I got into my clinical rotations, um, it, it's really limited as far as what you can do as a med student. There's a lot of closed doors as a med student. Um, so you kind of just have to take what you can get. So luckily I made some friends with the OB-GYN program where I did the majority of my rotations and they were doing a study on post-placental IUD expulsion, um, basically, implanting an uh, intrauterine device for contraception within 10 minutes after delivery of the placenta when they give birth vaginally. So long story short, it just helps women, um, you know, control, you know, their family planning. Basically, a lot of them are coming from like low income areas and whatnot, and maybe low education level, especially where we were. It was a very, we, we were working in an area <clears throat> where there's a big need for that. And if you don't, um, you know, help them find contraception early on, they're going to end up having a short interval pregnancy, higher risk, multiple children, there's a, a whole lot of things that kind of spiral out of control. So it was actually a really good study that benefited the community. And I was able to be a part of that. Um, I would compile data and I helped them um, with, with that portion. So I was able to get some good clinical experience. In addition, I kept in contact with one of my mentors from med school. Uh, Dr. Bill Hayden, really awesome guy. He was a former ER, ER doctor and uh, we just got along really well. And he ended up co-authoring a book with me on ECG interpretation that we uh, were able to publish on Amazon and uh, it ended up being pretty popular. So basically, you know, there's not one right way of doing things, but um, you just take all the opportunities that, you, that come to you and just make the most of them is what I would say as far as that goes. 
so yeah, I got involved second year, uh, continued on third year. And then even now I'm actually working on a couple of research projects. Uh, so it really never ends. <laughs> it, yeah, it really doesn't. You just have to be in love with the process and then just go with it. Yep, yeah, that's right. <laughs> what would be a tip to kind of, to do the networking? Like, like, what do you suggest as a tip? Yeah, I'd say early on, <clears throat> like in your, um, your basic science years, the first couple of years in med school, uh, try to find a mentor or someone who you get along with, uh, maybe who's experienced in their field. You know, like, like Dr. Hayden, who I worked with, uh, you know, we got along really well. And obviously, when you know these people, uh, the medical community is very small. So if you know someone, they probably know someone else. So when you go out on the interview trail, you all of a sudden have access to way more uh, people, way more contacts than you, than you otherwise would. So I would say definitely, you know, put yourself out there. I'm normally kind of a quiet, sort of shy person, but you know, you have to just get over that, overcome it, and just go talk to people. Um, so yeah, I would say identifying mentors early on in the clinical, or excuse me, in the basic science years, and then when you're in your clinical years, try to really stand out as a student. And that's not always easy to do, but if you're just helpful. Uh, like, for instance, when we have students come through with our OR staff, if they help move the patients, position the patients, um, insert the Foley, just, you know, stuff that's not glamorous, but that the staff notices and they're like, wow, this person really helps out. That was something that helped me when I was going through clinical rotations. So I ended up having a you know, good reputation among the surgeons that I rotated with. And then later on, I was able to come to them and get good letters of recommendation. Uh, they were able to give me advice like, oh, apply here, don't apply there, etc. Um, so that, that's why I would say is identifying mentors early on. And then also in your clinical years, trying to stand out and trying to, um, network as much as possible. Also going to conferences is very good. I know COVID kind of killed it, but conferences are a lot of fun. <laughs> conferences are great. You can see, uh, I, I'd always go to the, uh, American College of Surgeons conference from, from 2018 or 2017 onward. I've been going to those and it's a lot of fun. You, you'll meet a lot of people, a lot of different people from all over the world. Uh, there'll be poster presentations and um, even uh, didactic portions. Like I was able to do a cardiothoracic hands-on um, teaching opportunity, which was really fun at uh, the one in Boston. So a lot of cool opportunities. You'll meet a lot of people and, um, and also just staying on top of it too. You know, just putting yourself out there, emailing, calling. You kind of have, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. You have to do the work because I feel like once you're in med school, you're like, oh, you know, it'll work out. But I feel like you have to put in the work in order for it to work out. You do. Yeah. It's not easy, but it can be done. Yeah. What were uh, one or some of the challenges that you had to go through that you're like, okay, this could be a little bit different? Like, Let's see. There was a lot of challenges. It's kind of hard to say. <laughs> um, Hmm. I'd say the, the biggest challenge probably, well, now I, I'd say probably the biggest challenge was getting into med school, you know, just being a non-traditional applicant that was so difficult. So that was something I had to overcome was I had a undergraduate degree that was, you know, not biology. You know, I had political science degree and I had to do my make my own post back and all that. So I'd say that was probably the biggest thing that I had to overcome was that non-traditional status. I had to prove to everyone that, you know, I actually can make it through um, and, until I end up getting the chance. So that, that was probably the most difficult part of overcoming that. Once I was into med school, you, you know how it is, you're kind of just, you're locked in. <laughs> like you're just part of the daily grind. And, um, you know, there's challenges, of course, like 
studying for step and um, applications and clinicals and shelf exams. But uh, I'd say the biggest challenge ever was definitely just getting into med school. Yeah, that's the big, uh, like the first wave and then it's the match. And <laughs> so bad. <laughs> it never ends. But how about now that you're working? Like, what do you think would be like a big challenge for you? Yeah, right now it's the, the whole work-life balance thing. That's probably a big challenge. Uh, you know, surgery residency is notoriously grueling and it is seriously rough. You know, I work 80 hours a week, every week. Uh, in addition to working, I have to do, you know, presentations and research and other stuff outside of that as well. So it's really the challenge now is just making time for myself and also for my family. And I feel like we're doing a pretty good job of it so far. <laughs> you know, yeah. so I'm in the beginning of my second year right now. And I feel like, you know, even though we don't get a ton of time together, quantity wise, I feel like we have good quality. Uh, so we, we spend a lot of quality time together and I feel like it, it works out. But that is the ever going challenge, you know, it's just how do you do all these things? And there, there'll be times when I'm supposed to maybe get off at 6 p.m. But then uh, someone comes in with, you know, an acute abdomen. I end up operating till 9 or 10. It's, it can be rough sometimes. There's a lot of X factors involved, but I'd say the biggest challenge is um, just making time for my family and for myself too. <laughs> yeah, you gotta, I feel like in a way you have to sacrifice something, but it pays yeah, off in the long run. Uh, what is your advice for students that are kind of like struggling either in school or like they're doing the match or like what would be your advice as you've gone through yeah. it? For struggling in school, you know, especially those basic science years, the people were dropping like flies um, in, in my class. They were you know, dropping out. They were failing out. It was, it was pretty rough for a lot of students there. So uh, from what I could see, I'd say get help early on. So if you're struggling in something, go get a tutor, go to office hours with the teacher, get on it fast. Otherwise, you'll end up getting overwhelmed. So really don't be afraid to ask for help and do so very early is what you need to do. Um, and everyone has something that they struggle with. You know, molecular cellular biology was pretty rough. Um, genetics was not fun. You know, there's certain classes that are very challenging. So it, get help early on and don't be afraid to. Uh, sometimes you'll just want to be like quiet and, and just study and just kind of silently suffer. And that doesn't work in med school because you'll end up failing. <laughs> so you got to get help early on and not be ashamed of that. Um, and then I'd say that's probably the biggest thing in the basic science years. Beyond that, it, it's more dependent on what specialty you're going into, I'd say, okay. as far as what you need to be doing and how to get help. Yeah. Cool. So if there's something that you would want to change in the medical field, like what would you change? Oh, like anything? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I would, if I had like a magic wand or something, I would like to just completely eliminate all disinformation. I feel like there's so much just people putting out false information or biased information, especially with COVID right now and all these weird conspiracy theories and, you know, people wearing their tinfoil hats and thinking that I'm being paid off by big pharma to do whatever. Or I would love to just stop all of that misinformation and just have people trust the scientific process. And science doesn't get it right all the time. But um, I saw a good quote the other day that when science changes its mind, it's not because it was lying to you, it's because it learned more information. You know, and so we're not saying that we're perfect, you know, doctors aren't perfect at all. But we're trying. <laughs> and we're, you know, not afraid to admit that, you know, we're wrong, now we know more, etc. 
So it'd be nice to put a kibosh on people who are thinking that there's this conspiracy out there and all that stuff. I'd love to see that disappear. I feel like a lot of people who haven't done their research are, are faster to talk and to do more yeah. research on it. So, yeah. yeah, and Googling things and reading you know, blogs, that, that's not research. <laughs> people need to recognize it's definitely that. Especially WebMD as well. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, like I, I, I like the idea of WebMD. It's great to have information out there for, for um, consumers to look at and whatnot. But man, I swear, you Google anything on WebMD and it tells you you have cancer. <laughs> Everyone thinks they're dying. It's, it's always the worst case scenario that comes up um, the, the first. Uh, what is one of the biggest achievements you're most proud of in all your life? Hmm. I'd say being a father. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm so proud of my little daughter. She's super cute. She's crazy smart and she's real sassy. You know, she looks like my wife, but she got my personality. <laughs> and um, yeah, I'd say I'm, I'm most proud of her. That's good. It's a good blend. It is. <laughs> it seems sweet. Um, so other than all the advices that you've given us, um, anything else you you would want to add and how can we succeed or like, what is the biggest tip for you that kind of helped you the most? Yeah, yeah, I'd say just, you know, stay passionate about, about it. You know, you don't get tunnel vision. Remember what you're doing it for. And even though it may suck wherever you're at in your studies, it will get better. And eventually you're going to be doing the job that you wanted originally. So it's, it's, it's worth it. Just keep your nose to the grindstone and it will get better is what I would say. Awesome. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. We hope to have you again in the podcast, but this was awesome and we appreciate your time. Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me and feel free to, um, you know, let, if your listeners want to get in touch or ask questions or anything, um, please feel free to pass along my, my email or whatever. Okay, cool. And how can they, like on the, on the email, like I know you have the Instagram page as well. Would they be able to reach you on that as well? Yeah, definitely. It's at uh, MD. Um, so yeah, any, anytime, feel free to add me or message me with questions and uh, I'll help out in any way I can. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much. We appreciate all your time. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you.